get you one of these worksheets. We need it for, for uh, our study tonight. We're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. I want to read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll come back to study them together. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which are to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Some of you here tonight are notorious bargain hunters, and I'm not going to call any names, but there's some folks here tonight I know personally who love a bargain, and we get all these, we make all these semi-annual sales, don't we? And uh, getting a bargain. We got an inside joke over at our house. My wife comes in, my daughter bringing this sack loads of stuff. They go to, you know, they go to town or the mall. They bring it in, they sack loads of stuff, and the first thing they say is, come here and let me show you what we've saved. You say, we bought this at, you know, half price, and this was 25% off, and just look at all we've saved you. And my response is always, you folks are going to save me into the poorhouse. I mean, it's unbelievable. If I, if I had all the money that I have been saved, I'd be a millionaire. And some of you like to cut out these coupons, you know, in the uh, paper and in the magazines, and you stack them up and get in the line just ahead of me at the Safeway every time, and, and they count those things out one by one. Everybody's looking for something for nothing. And that has affected our religious and our theological um, life. If I could just have something for nothing, and that's why, why the Christian faith interests some people. I mean, you, you say that, that it's free, that you don't have to earn your, your salvation, your redemption from sin, that it costs nothing. I'm interested in anything I can get for nothing because I'm a notorious bargain hunter myself. But whoever told you that the Christian life costs nothing? It costs God the love of his heart. It costs the son his life. And it will cost you your will. And it may cost you your dreams and your hopes and your plans. For the way to the crown is the, by the way of the cross. And we must never forget that. There is indeed a sweet by and by. But on the way there, there is a nasty now and now. And you'll never reach a plateau where you'll be exempt from problems or hardship or difficulties. 
There'll never be a time when you'll ever reach a place where you're exempt from, from the problems of life. As a matter of fact, it seems to some more horrible since they've believed than it seemed before they believed. Christianity is not a pie in the sky by and by. Christianity is a help from Christ day by day by day. And the people of this book didn't understand that. Now, there is a theme to the book of Hebrews. I want you to tell me what it is. I mean, we've drilled this in in our study of the first two chapters. What is the theme of the book of Hebrews? That's what I was afraid of. <laughs> Silence. The theme of the book of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ. Can you remember that? Say that with me. The superiority of Christ. Christ is superior to prophets, and Christ is superior to angels, and Christ is superior, period. But in spite of the fact that Christ is superior, the Christian life is no bed of roses. Now I want you to look at the way he gets into this. In verse 16 for of chapter 2, For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but gives help to the descendants of Abraham. To us he gives help. This Christ who is the superior one, superior to prophets and angels, gives help to us. As a matter of fact, the last thing he promised his disciples was that he would send another helper so that Christ is committed to our help. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. I like the Living Bible's translation of that. Listen to this. It says, And it was necessary for Jesus to be like us, his brothers, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, a priest who would be both merciful to us and faithful to God in dealing with the sins of the people. I love that. He is merciful to us, but faithful to God in dealing with our sins. Now what Jesus is, is committed to is not our comfort. He is committed to the plan of God. Now he has promised that he will be merciful to us and help us in our trouble, but his commitment is to God's plan and we've already discovered that God's plan is perfection for us. He wants to mold us and make us whole and pure. In the, and, and Jesus is in the business of perfecting a bride without spot or blemish. And God has said that in the plan, in his plan, he has chosen hardship and difficulty and suffering as a part of that perfecting process. And Jesus is committed to that. Look at verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The words come to the aid in the Greek are these. He runs to our cry. Now get this picture of God, of Jesus. He is committed to helping us in our need of help. And he is committed to the plan of God in perfecting us 
and he has promised mercy when mercy is needed, and he stands ready to run to your aid when you cry to him. Therefore, first word of chapter 3. It's too bad there's a chapter division there. It doesn't more fit a chapter that. Uh, there's no, really should be no chapter division. In, in light of what you understand about Jesus, therefore consider him, look to him. Now that's no cliche. Aren't we good with cliches? You know, look to the Lord. I just love it when people lay those cliches on you, you know, on me. Uh, well, you know, you've heard one like, you know, uh, lay it on the Lord or, you know, give it to the Lord. I heard this guy uh, one day at seminary came in and a bunch of us were there um, discussing great theological issues at the coffee break. He said, let me tell you about my baptism last night. He had a little church, kind of a one-room church, and, and it just had this, this kind of sad, just a, he just it looked like it, just kind of like David did when tonight. It's everything, <laughs> he turned around and he said, everything goes wrong. He, he's kind of had that look. He, he told about his baptism that night before. And they, you've, have you been in, I, my, the first church I was, I can remember, they had the baptistry under the platform. And, and they moved the pulpit and they lifted up, you know, the platform and there was this baptism, uh, the baptistry there. Well, that's, that's kind that he had, that church. And he said, we had these wires that ran kind of from the middle of the church all across the choir to the back and then, then across this way, from one side or the other. And, and, and we put curtains on that when you got ready to baptize and people dressed. You were already anticipating. He said, people dressed, you know, behind in, in one side and the other side. And he said, I had four people to baptize and I was meeting with them in, you know, prior to the service and he said, one of them, uh, one of the ladies said, uh, Pastor, he said, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of water. And he said, I just kind of brushed that off and laughed. So, well, I've never, drowned, I've never let anybody drown. I hadn't had to drain a baptistry to pick somebody up off, of, off the bottom. And he said, you know, things were going great. So I baptized her last. He said, have you ever given a bath to a cat? <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said, when she got out in the water, he said, I started down with her, and he said, she just locked on to the side of that baptistry with both hands. He said, kind of a death grip. And he said, I was wrestling uh, her, trying to break her loose, you know, from that, from that grip. And he said, she got both hands around my neck. Just, just, he, said, he said, I didn't mind going under with her just to get her under. He said, now, and I knew it didn't count unless you get her all the way under. He said, so, so I was struggling with her to get her under the baptistry. And he said, we kind of waltzed to the words, the back of the baptistry. He said, he said, you know, she reached up and got a hold of those curtains. And he said, he said, while I was struggling with her, he said, she ripped that curtain down. And he said, there were people <laughs> getting, getting dressed back there. And somebody said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I called up one of my favorite Billy Graham cliches. I said, every head bowed and every eye closed. <laughs> 
<laughs> With the emphasis on the every eye. <laughs> and now, now I just love it when, you know, people start unloading those cliches, you know. So, so what, what, what really, what happens, I think, is that when, when a person in, you know, enters into this crucible of problems, somebody comes up and says, consider Jesus. And that sounds like some cliche that you don't want to hear. I need to help you to see what that means. When you hear the word consider, you think of, you know, give it a thought or think about it a little bit. But that's one of the most intense words you can find. It means to perceive down. And it means to get beneath the surface for the purpose of understanding. It's what they sang about. Did you recognize? Consider the lilies. It's the Lord's word. And he said, you need to perceive down and get beyond, beneath the surface and understand this this musturion, this revelation that God has for you. Now, now get the context, get the picture. Here were these people, these, these Jews, who were in the midst of all kinds of persecution, and many of them were just about ready to go to the house to quit. And so the author says, you need to get beneath the surface to truth, which is the reality that lies, lies behind or beyond perception. You need to get beneath that and understand Jesus. And when you do that, you'll discover two things about him. First, he said, he is the apostle. It's the only time in the New Testament where Jesus is referred to as the apostle. The word means he is sent or dispatched from heaven itself. This apostle Jesus has been dispatched from, from God's heaven just for you and your need. And he is the high priest who is ready to hear your confession. And that word priest is a derivative of a Latin word that means bridge builder. He is the bridge builder who has been dispatched from heaven in order to hear your heart cry, your confession. Now, now he doesn't come at us as a judge to say to us, why are you not having the right kind of attitude in the problems of life? You ought to be doing better than this. He comes as a, as a bridge builder to say to us, all right, open up and tell me what you're thinking. Tell me your heart. Bear your heart to me, and I'll help you get to God. I'm the bridge builder from, from your problem and your need to the Father. What a beautiful thought. Let me read something to you because it has a, there is an Old Testament illustration of it. It's the book of Job. Now Job had a few problems, I mean to say the least. That's the understatement. And some of his friends came to him and said, okay, Job, it must be that you've got some, somebody, some sin, some skeleton somewhere. Come on, let's open up the closet, let the closet's air out and find the skeletons that's causing your problems. And, they, and, and Job couldn't figure out what was happening to him because he, he couldn't identify any sin in his life. And what he was saying, what he was needing, he was saying, I need somebody to go to court with me. I need somebody who will stand. I'm not, as a man, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not a... Uh, 
qualified to stand and argue to, with God. I need somebody who can go as a mediator, an arbitrator, and stand before God and plead my case. And I don't have anybody like it. Listen to what he said. He says, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him or argue with him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon both of us let him remove his rod from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but I'm not like that in myself. He said, I don't have an arbitrator to stand in my place to God. And what Job longed for, we have. We have somebody who can take his hand and put his hand on me and you, and we have it, and with his other hand, he can reach out and lay hold on God, and through him, our mediator, we can come to God. Now that's the, that is what Jesus is committed to for you. Now, just to kind of nail down or to affirm the, the thought of that theologically, he's going to show that Jesus is superior to Moses. That's what the rest of this is about. And he's getting in a pretty delicate subject here because to the Jew, Moses was kind of a George Washington and Abraham Lincoln putting put all together, you know, one big package. I mean, he was the miracle worker, the leader of the Exodus, the superintendent of the tabernacle. You don't mess with Moses. And so the author of the book of Hebrews says, this one who will stand between you and God, who has been dispatched from heaven to your cry and your need is greater than Moses. And they said, prove it. I mean, and not anybody greater than Moses, unless it be Abraham, you say to the Jew. And, and, and so verses two, one and two, he shows, and three and four, he shows the similarities of Moses and Jesus. You can write those in if you want to. One, they're both appointed by God, appointed of God. Secondly, they're both faithful to God. And third, they're both related to God's house. Let me give you those again. They're both appointed of God. They're both faithful to God. And they're both related to God's house. There is a difference between Jesus and Moses. The difference is found in verses three and four, and this is the difference, that God has assigned to Jesus more glory than Moses, and the second difference is that Moses is the house and Jesus is the builder of it. Moses is the house and Jesus is the constructor of the house. Now we need to clarify what he means by house. You see that in the text? You are staying there with me, aren't you? If somebody were to stop you on the corner and say, where's God's house? You'd probably point to some steeple of some church, say right over there on the corner. If you're a Jew, you'd say the temple. We, we talk about this being God's house, the place where people worship, gather for worship and praise. I was walking down the halls here a while back and some little kid was running down the halls. I heard his mother say, don't run in God's house. This is God's house. Don't run in God's house. This is not God's house. You are God's house. And you get into this building to worship and praise Him. But you and I are God's house. Augustine said, you fool, dost thou not know 
that thou, hast, thou dost carry God around with you everywhere you go. You are the sanctuary of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You're the temple of God. And Jesus said, The Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. You are God's house where God dwells. Now, what does that mean? Two, two marvelous things. It means, first, that you have God living in you, and secondly, that because he is the builder and the maker, Jesus is more accessible to you than he was to Simon Peter and James and John. He is. He is more accessible to you as a believer than he was to Simon Peter and James and John. He lives in you. God dwells in you. Now, now what, what does this mean to people who are in the midst of, of difficulty and problems and crisis? That the ruler of this house, this household, uh, you're part of the household of God, that the ruler of this house, he built it. He made you. He created you. He formed you. Psalm says he weaves you in the womb of your mother. And this same God who made you lives in you and is available to you. And that's what Jesus came to teach us. Now, if verse 6 had ended with that statement, everything would be so great. But the next statement goes, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Now, now this is what he says. He says, you're the house of God. You're the property of God. You're the place where God lives and dwells. Then he says, if you hold fast. You know what that looks like? What does that look like to you? It looks like if you hold out. If you don't, if you don't blow it, if you hold out to the end, you're God's people. That's what that looks like. That sure makes it difficult on a Baptist interpreter of Scripture. Now what does that mean? It means one of two things. It means this, that you will be saved if you keep yourself saved. That is, if you hold out, if you keep on living right, at the end, God will take you to heaven. Or it means this. It means that the endurance and the continuance of one's faith is the proof of his salvation and the fact that he does not continue, that he does fall by the wayside and quit is the proof that he never was saved. It, it's that or it's the other. I, I'm going I'm to take sides with the latter. I'm going to say and I believe it's true that what the author of Hebrews is saying is that if you don't continue on in your faith, if you quit, and that's what they were threatening to do, you've got to remember that about Hebrews. If you don't continue on, then you're, the fact that you're unable to manifest what God has come in your heart to produce is revealing that there never was a faith there in the beginning. In other words, he's saying to me, my interpretation is that continuance is the proof of reality. 
that if you have genuine faith in Christ and have redemption from sin, you will continue in faith to the end. If you don't, you never had faith to begin with. The alternative to that, you know, there's only one alternative to that, something I have a problem reconciling with the, 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 the general teaching of Scripture. So, what, what, so if you want to find the proof of reality, you just check out a person's life to the end. If you want to find the proof of one's faith, you just check out his response to problems. And so this is what the author is saying. He's saying, now Jesus is superior to Moses, accessible to you, and he's committed to mercy and to your need. All you got to do is cry to him. And it doesn't mean that he's going to, to inoculate you against problems in life. He's just going to promise to give you mercy and strength to meet those problems day by day by day. And if you continue in, in, in faith to the end, it's evident that he's been there all along meeting your need because the author of the book of Hebrews and everybody else knows that we can't make it on our own. There's a parable of life that I want to share with you and then I'll quit. There were all these chickens in the barnyard and they got along very well because, you know, they were all alike. But there was one chicken in the barnyard that was different. It's kind of big and clumsy and had old, uh, you know, big old wings that kind of made it hard to balance. And, and this old chicken, uh, it long talons, you know, deformed feet that kind of turned under and made it difficult to walk. And, and it had a beak that was deformed, kind of crooked, and made it impossible for that chicken to peck and eat on the nourishment of the barnyard floor. It was pretty tough for that old chicken. And one day an eagle came from the heights and kind of swooped down and into the barnyard area and landed over by the barn. And the old eagle began to scream like eagles do. And something began to happen inside that chicken. There's something inside that ugly, deformed, different chicken that kind of responded to the scream of that eagle. Something began to take over inside. And it wasn't long until that chicken began to flap her wings and in a little bit began to soar with her new friend. For she had discovered that she was really an eagle raised in a barnyard on a filthy floor where she never was meant to be. Now the parable of life is this, that God in His plan has placed you here in order that you might be perfected. And the part of that plan is the difficulties of life that come but there is a potential and a promise that rests in you for who you are that will enable you 
to rise triumphantly and live victoriously to the end. And that potential and promise is that Jesus Christ, the God who made you, lives inside of you. And you don't have to be defeated by life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you when we consider, get beneath the surface to consider that Jesus is the apostle dispatched from heaven to be the daysman, the bridge builder that lays hold upon us and upon God and enables us to live in the very strength of God Himself. We not pray tonight to be exempt from life's need and difficulty. We just pray that the mediator would lay his hand upon us, remind us of his presence in our life so that we in him could lay hold upon your power, power that enables us to live triumphantly in the face of the most difficult things because I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Now there are three invitations that will give you an opportunity to, to, to which you can respond. One is an invitation to receive Christ as your personal Savior. The Lord would like to come in and live in your heart, make your heart His sanctuary, and become the house of God where God lives. An invitation this, morning, this evening to join the church like many did this morning or to rededicate your life to Christ, however God would lead you, whatever it is. So a guy was telling me tonight, he said, you know, I'm working through my, my um, commitment to Christ. I feel God calling me to preach. And so there may be some of you that need to make those kinds of decisions and will not linger long, just long enough for you to come while we stand and sing.